Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.au. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. Hey, if you're, you're visiting today or you're new here or you're joining us online, a big warm welcome to you. My name is Anthony and I'm the Executive Pastor here at York Street. It's my joy to be sharing the word with you today. Last week, Pastor Tim launched our new series called One Faith. And we're taking a look at the, the Apostle Paul's letters to the early church. And last week, Tim gave us an overview of what this series is going to look like. He, he unpacked the, the life of Paul and, and his missionary journeys in the Near East, spreading the gospel message uh, further and further west in an attempt to get to Rome and to Spain. And so Paul is, is known as one of the, the earliest Christian missionaries. And, and throughout these trips, he, he plants many faith communities of believers in Jesus that we call churches, that, that he spreads the message to all of these churches around the Mediterranean, and, and as such, he, he then writes a series of letters, often to kind of follow up on, on the, the visits he's made, often as encouragement to these churches to keep fighting the good fight, to, to continue to spread the gospel message. But sometimes his letters are also to remind and rebuke the churches when they, they don't quite get it right and they start to lose their way, losing sight of the, the message of the gospel and, and losing sight of the way in which Jesus called them to live. And so throughout this One Faith series, we, each week we're, we're looking at some of the, the letters uh, that Paul wrote and, and because we see that some of those challenges that those, that those early Christians faced, in fact, still apply to us today because we're kind of a bit forgetful and we still haven't got it right. So we're taking this fleeting trip through five churches, early churches, and, and five books of the Bible and in six weeks. So you ready? Whew, okay. So during, during the week, if you're connected here at Yorkie and we have your email address, you should have received a reading plan um, that I've, again, forgotten to bring up to show you. Yeah. So this would have come to your email, and it's a, it's a reading plan going through the scriptures that we're looking at on, on the Sunday. Um, so you're welcome to jump on board with that. Um, good news is, if you haven't started yet, Romans was this week just gone, and that's heavy, right? But starting tomorrow, they get shorter. don't know if they're easier to understand, but they get shorter. So maybe, maybe you want to jump on that. But don't, don't feel it as a burden. Just step into it, see where it takes you, and if you can... Um, you know, step a bit closer to God through the scriptures this, this season, um, that, that's only going to be a good thing, yeah? Cool. So before we jump into to Romans today, uh, let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust in its promises and, and examples of, of how we should, should live as disciples of Christ. We pray that you will use your Holy Spirit to speak to us today, to reveal to us those, those things on your heart, that you want us to know. We pray that your living word might come alive to us today, that we might be compelled to respond in partnership with your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. Amen. Okay, so first, some context for the book of Romans for us today. 
So throughout his ministry, Paul has founded churches throughout the Mediterranean, as we said. He's, he's nearing the end of his third trip out. And so he writes to the church in Rome. And what's different about the letter to the, to the Romans is that he hasn't actually visited them yet. He's letting them know that he's on his way. And so instead of it being a really specific message for that specific church, it, it becomes this really quite wide, open, general message for anyone, including us today. And so at the time, the Roman church was, was made up of two subsets of people. There was the, the Jewish Christians who had come from a Jewish heritage, who had their, their faith traditions and their, their, uh, their rituals and their, their sacrifices that they stood upon. And then there's what we know as Gentile Christians who, who didn't come from a Jewish heritage, who might, might have been Greek or Roman, and, and they're starting to follow Jesus as well. And so the emperor at the time banished out the Jewish Christians for a period of five years, and they've just been able to come back. But these two, two groups of people have been separated, and now their, their ideals and their, their values kind of don't quite line up. So there's some tensions in the understanding of what Jesus' followers should, should do. Some were trying to turn back to their old ways, their old laws, their old traditions. And who knows, that's kind of easy to do. It's comfortable and it's, it's familiar. It feels safe. So in the Roman church, they don't really know whether they're coming or going. They don't know whether they're on point or not. And so in the letter to the Romans, Paul sets out this kind of orderly sequence of theological truths that, that are good for the church at that time, and they're still good for us now. And see, because he hasn't visited, it, it, it doesn't address exactly what's going on for them. But what it does do is spells out God's redemptive plan for humanity through Jesus and the practical implications of the gospel for believers. So if you've read Romans this week or at any point in the past, you see that in Romans chapter 1, Paul takes about six verses just to introduce himself. He says, hey, I'm Paul, in six verses. Then the following ten verses, he says, I'm on my way to Rome. So we pick it up in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The message paraphrase puts it like this. It's the, new, the news I am most proud to proclaim. This extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts in him, starting with the Jews and then right on to everyone else. God's way of putting people right shows up in the acts of faith, confirming what scripture said, has said all along. The person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives and so these passages are just like right we've, we've gone from hey I'm Paul I'm on my way bang what this scripture is saying is that it's only by our faith in Jesus that that, that will put us right with God it's only by our faith it feels kind of against the grain because the Jewish people at the time, they've been trying to follow all these traditions and, and sacrifices. 
doesn't feel right, but it's only by faith. That's the gospel message. Tim touched on this last week, that the, the Jewish Christians, that, that they had all their, their customs and traditions, and um, often around circumcision and what they, what they ate, the, the kosher food, and around rituals of worship and Sabbath. You might particularly like this one, Luke, I'm thinking of you up the back. In Leviticus 19.27, it says, Do not cut the hair on the sides of your head or clip the ends of your beard. I guess we still live this, by this today. That's okay. So there's this change of understanding that needs to happen for these Jewish Christians and for us now. There's this new way of thinking about our relationship with God and how we become, become justified before him. In verse 17, it says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. But when we read these passages, we kind of realise we don't get it quite right either. Sometimes I think we we kind of blur the lines between the, the gospel of Jesus and what I want to call today the gospel of ourselves. The gospel of self sees us running around trying to achieve things and do things that, that might be pleasing to God or other people, perhaps trying to make up for our sins, perhaps trying to make up for, for our feelings of inadequacy or unimportance. This gospel of self, it has us, has us think we need to, to justify our existence. This gospel of self starts to motivate everything we do. What must I do to be not judged as a failure in this life? How can I I prove myself to be a good person? Perhaps it's at school. How do I fit in? How do I I do well and get good grades? And and how do I fit in with the right crowd? And like with social media nowadays, how how do I you know interact with people? How do I, I put myself out there as the best person I could be? How do I get into the university course that that's going to set me up for life? Perhaps it's in the workplace. Chasing the promotion or the pay rise? How can I do my job well to, to please the boss? Maybe then, maybe my, worth, my life might be worth something. And finally, maybe once I've achieved all this, been through school and maybe university or started, started a job, maybe you might consider starting a family. Maybe if I just find the right person, we settle down and we have this perfect little existence. Maybe then, maybe then I'll feel valued and justified. And above all, God will be happy with me because I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person. That's all that matters. Meanwhile, we're trying to raise this perfectly functioning family and maybe yeah, we get married and have kids and they might grow up right and if they turn out okay, we've done the right thing. And maybe that's where our worth is found. Well, maybe we're going in the complete opposite direction too. Maybe we're not going to get married and have kids and maybe we just want to, you know, we want to take on the world ourselves. We want to make a difference and we want to be unique and we want to be valued and, and just through our own self-importance, we're just going to make the, the best of this life. And so this becomes a problem because we're constantly striving, yet it never seems to be enough. We, we never quite meet that that perfect scenario. We never quite get to, the, to the, the excellent life we're striving for, whatever that means. We might reach one goal only to find that there's more in front of it. So I'm going to share a quote with you from Madonna, not the mother of Jesus, not the mother of Jesus, the, the queen of pop. 
Yeah. Madonna wrote this. All of my will has been to conquer something hor this, this, some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and, and discover myself a special human being, and, and then I get to another stage, and then I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. I fi find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being just mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle nev has never ended and probably never will. See, the gospel of self becomes futile. It's self-perpetuating, yet never fulfilling. In, Roman, in, in chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The gospel of Jesus is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes it. Not everyone who works hard, though they might. Not everyone who strives their way through life. Not everyone who meets a certain standard. Not, not everyone who achieves great things, though they might. Not everyone who attempts to repay their own sins. It's by faith alone we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm hoping you might come for a walk with me. It's just a virtual walk, it's okay. You don't have to get up. It's a walk down a road. You may be familiar with this road, and you might want to bring your friends and family on it if you're familiar. It's called the Romans Road. You may have heard of it. If you're a believer, perhaps you could use this with your friends or your family. But we see that there's these cobblestones through the book of Romans that point us directly back to the gospel of Jesus. And that gospel of Jesus is the power of God that brings salvation. So let's take this walk. Our first step on the Romans road is that we have a problem, a problem of sin. And in Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. No matter where we come from, who we are. We're separated from God by our sin. It's a fact. We're imperfect. There's not one thing that we can do in this life to make up for that. We're unable to correct it. But we know from, from Scripture that there's, there's a consequence owed to us because of that sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. See, death entered this world as a result of the sin, meaning the consequence of our sins should be death. But God had a plan. Because he loves his people so much, he desired to reconcile them back to him. That includes you. God loves you so much. He desires an intimate relationship with you. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our sinfulness, in our brokenness, irrespective of what we've done or what we're doing, irrespective of how hard we work to gain his favour, 
God sent his son, Jesus, who walked this earth and lived and died on a cross for you. And he rose again on the third day, defeating death and sin once and for all, which gives us a free gift of salvation. The power of God through the gospel, our salvation. In Romans 6, 23, it says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're pardoned from the consequence of our sin. We're not subject to eternal death anymore. Instead, we can look forward to an eternity with God the Father. But surely I have to do something, right? The only thing we have to do, friends, is trust. Trust and believe. Just like the scripture says in Romans 10.9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, it's honestly as straightforward as that. God loves you so much regardless of what you've done, what you're trying to strive to achieve. He loves you so much. Jesus at the cross overcome your sin, my sin, the sins of the world, to allow us to be righteous and perfect and whole in the eyes of God. Not because of anything we've done, not by the laws we keep or don't keep, not by the offerings we bring or don't bring. Not by the amount we achieve or don't achieve. Because of everything Jesus has done, we all, have, all we have to do is simply believe. It's to have faith. And by faith alone, we are forgiven and set right before God. So one day when this this earthly life fades and we, we enter God's presence. We're going to stand in front of this infinitely perfect and holy Father. We'll come before him and we'll, we'll probably have our baggage and our imperfection and all our brokenness. Perhaps we'll also come with our, our perfect picture, our perfect existence. We'll bring maybe all the money we, we earn or Maybe we'll bring our university degrees or our success stories. And God will probably say to us, and? We'll probably try to explain ourselves out of it. I did this and I did that. And I was a, I was a good person and I achieved this and I achieved that. Yeah, and? Friends, all we need to say is I believe in Jesus. He's all I have and all I need. That's all I've got because I'm, I'm a sinner. I have no righteousness of my own. But I have faith in Jesus and I believe that, I believe that God's going to look you in the eye and, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But the good news for us is that we don't have to wait to see God face to face. We can make that declaration today. We can stand before him right now and say, I have nothing. I'm broken by my sin. Save me, Lord Jesus. 
and it's my faith in you is all that matters. See, friends, the solution to life's biggest problems is that one faith. The one faith we have in Jesus. Not in the gospel of self, it's the gospel of Jesus. It's the same message that applied to that Roman church all those years ago. It remains available to us, that same faith, that same gospel. You know what? It's open to your friends. It's open to your family. It's open to your workmates. So maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a while now, but I'm guaranteeing you know someone that doesn't know Jesus. So I ask you this morning, if you personally haven't found shelter and rest and refuge in Jesus, then perhaps today is that day. Not because of your achievements, not because you're trying to find your identity and striving ahead, because that's exhausting, let's be honest. Yet it's through our faith only in the gospel of Jesus that we're fully saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us so much that you would die on a cross for our sins, that through your actions we're saved and justified in the eyes of God, not by anything we can do, not by our our earthly striving or anything we can bring to you, purely and simply by the faith we place in you. May we be encouraged to view ourselves in the light of our salvation. May we understand we bring nothing to this equation except our faith. You've done all the work. You've accomplished everything for us. And we're made right and just in your eyes in this faith. We stand before you today knowing full well we're broken. We're in need of your mercy and your grace. We invite you into our lives perhaps for the first time ever, perhaps again. Won't you heal our brokenness and make us right? Lord Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.